This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You should choose. This is a vachar to You should choose life. You should choose to love Akarish Baruch Hu. Lishma bekoladavkavo to listen to His voice and to be davuk to Hashem. Because He is your life and He is the length of your days. That you will be able to live on the land that Akarish Baruch Hu swore to your parents. La Avram, li Yitzchak, li Yaakov, la Seislam, to Avram and Yaakov to give to them. So this is an unbelievable pasuk. Targum Yonason says, "Kihu chayecha" refers to Olam Hazeh. Kiora va'orech yamecha is Olam Haba, the world to come. The land is going to be given to us at the end of Galus, and then it will follow Olam Haba. The Rokeach points out that chayecha va'orech yamecha is the same gematria of va'olam hazeh va'olam haba, the exact same gematria ule olam ule olam haba. I'm sorry. For that reason. And that's one of the things that we know. We say it every morning and we get it. That's the idea behind it. You get this world, you get the next world. There's Olam Hazeh, there's Olam Haba, and it's all Shaykh to one another. Miam Loez says this entire Pasuk has to do with bringing Klal Yisrael to the highest level that they can get to, the highest level that they can possibly get. Lishmoa Bakolo means literally being able to hear God's voice to be able to achieve that level of nevuah, which we will get. Yechaskel speaks about that, and Treyasur goes through. All of your children, all of your daughters will all start to prophesy. And even a sinner who does tshuva will be able to get himself back and learn the secrets of the Torah. Says me, that's what this Pasuk is saying, that everyone has that chance. And Nitzavim, which is this Parsha about tshuva, the Shavta, Ad Hashem that's the idea of what we're saying over here. Maybe, says the Miam Lois, you're going to get to the point where you're so dubbuk to Hashem, it'll be as if you were there at Har Sinai. You'll feel it like you accepted the Torah along with all of Klal Yisrael. At that point, you might not even need the Mazun Gashmi, the different types of foods that we have, the physical foods that we have. You'll survive off Ruchnius and the Ziv HaShchina, the splendor of the Shechina itself, which is what Olam Haba is all about. It's described as something where there's no eating, no drinking, no hatred, jealousy. There's just Sadiqim sitting with crowns on their head, basking in the glory of the Shechina forever and ever. That's the idea of what a person can get to, and all of that is the reward at the end of Parshanit Savim of that's what's going to be your Arichos Yomim that you'll have for your entire life. Ibn Ezra says, what is who? He says, it's either the voice of Hashem or HaKadosh Baruch himself. It's referring to God, not the Torah. As we say, he quotes David Melech in Tehillim, Al Hashem Yishi, my salvation, my reliance is on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kihu chayachot. This is your life. Your life is about connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and getting close to Him. The Balatanya used to say at certain times, Rebunish Oilam, at a time of Dvekas, I don't want your Gan Eden. I don't want your Olam Haba, said the Balatanya. I want you and that's it. That's the concept. Conceptually, that's this Pasuk. To tell us that that's what we're asking for. That we want to have that connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and it's Kihu chayachot. The Sforno says it a little bit further. He says, we know the concept. We're not supposed to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in order to get a reward, right? We're not supposed to do that. It should be about our love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We love Hashem. We know we're supposed to do this. So therefore we do it. So anything in the world, the reason we do anything in this world is for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we go ahead and do it. In fact, 
that's the reason we're even allowed to continue to live in this world, to prepare ourselves for a war, a world in which we're connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is the Hachana to get there. So all of that is here, says the Sforno, it's all about getting to the point where you are Dabak to Hashem and Ki Hu Chayacha. That is your life. Nehav says the exact same thing. He says the ultimate purpose is obviously to be close to a Baruch Hu, which is Chayim Amitim, both in this world and the next, the true life that a person can live. Then you'll never be lacking because there's no way you can be lacking if you know everything's about a Baruch Hu and you're connected to him. That's again, Kihu Chayacham. Rav Hirsch says that concept of living with Hashem means nothing more than obeying God's will, both when times are good and unfortunately, when times are bad, in life and death, and we're always connected, and that should form our life and our happiness and all about it. We should do everything with God in mind. And all of a sudden, says Rav Hirsch, you'll live a different world, kihu chayecha, because that is your life. There can't be anything bad. You keep seeing the good more and more and more and more. The Horachayim HaKadosh, though, adds on something different. He says, it's not just about a Baruch Hu. It's about finding life in Eretz Yisrael. The Pasuk says, right? This is about making yourself a place, not just wherever you are, but to be able to go to Eretz Yisrael, to be part of Eretz Yisrael. That's the idea behind the Pasuk. And that's part of the process of achieving Shlemus. We can't achieve the full Shlemus that we have in this world here in Chicago. We have to go further and we have to get to Eretz Again, we have to be ready for it. It's scary to go to Eretz without being ready for it. But once we get there, then we can achieve the Shlemus that we have since living in Eretz is a mitzvah that includes many parts of the Torah itself. I'm not saying all of it, but it's a Sifri and Parshas Re. You can see it yourself in Piscope. And that even walking Dalit Amos in Eretzol is a chelik in Olam Habad. That doesn't mean, by the way, that every Dalit Amos is a, is a, is a, is a, what's it called? Is, you know, another chelik in Olam Habad. But walking Dalit Amos, being Zoha to walk Dalit Amos, is a chelik in Olam Habad based on Ksuvis Kufiyad Aleph and Aleph. But, warns the Tamadas, and this is what I was just saying before. Tamidat, where Shrembach says, living in Eretz Yisrael, while without taking the yoke of Torah upon yourself and saying to yourself, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm not going to listen to what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants. That's even scarier. Because that could be, and again, I'm not, I'm just quoting Rosh Shrembach. I'm not saying it for myself. That could be like sinning in the king's palace. And that gets so much worse. When you're outside of the king's palace, at least it's not in his face, so to speak. It's not considered in his face. But this gets there. When you're raised to a higher level of Ruchnius, when you have Avira de Eretz Yisrael Machakim, that level of where you're on a higher level spiritually and also wisdom-wise, just physically, you're on, a di- you're on a different plane completely. Then if you go there and lose that level and bring it down, that makes it even worse. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ma Avda Aretz, why was the land destroyed? Meaning by the times of the base of Mikdash, and the wording, the answer that was given by the Gemara is al-Azba Mestorasi, because they forsook my Torah, because they didn't do it. Instead, they spent their time there doing other things. Sternbach goes on and says, those people who go just for the Gashmias aspect is a very difficult thing to say when you get to Eretz Yisrael. Baruch Hashem, there is that Gashmias aspect in Eretz Yisrael. That's something that we should all be thankful for. That's an amazing thing. But missing out on that Ruchnias 
is a scary thing to be able to do. Woe to those who misuse or even abuse that privilege. That's what Rav Sternbach is saying. And I think that connects with what the Orachai Makadosh is saying. Obviously, he wants to go to Eretzal. The Orachai Makadosh himself was Zohar to go to Eretzal, as Rav Sternbach was as well, is as well. But nonetheless, there has to be something which we understand the concept, the Kedusha, that Eretzal holds for us. Where Victor Miller says, although the forefathers are mentioned here, La'avram, Li'itzok, Li'akov, Lasei Slahem, they never actually received the land. They were in it. Yitzchak never left it. But they never actually received the land as a gift. So what does it mean, if not for a reference to, you know, that eventually they'll be able to get it? What does it mean? Because they felt like it was actually given to them. They felt like they did everything they could to achieve the land. And for whatever reason, a Kaddish Baruch who didn't want them to get the gift right there at that time. That continued existence of their children and everything that they stood for actually increases their own joy in Olam Haba. They enjoy the fact that we're able to live in it. They enjoy the fact that people are able to keep mitzvahs there. That's the idea of what it means, that it's actually given over to them. But, of course, and this is an obvious thing, Kihu Chayecha also means the Torah. Right? Not just the Kaddish Baruch not just Eretz Yisrael, your life in Eretz Yisrael, L'Sheves Av Adama. But it refers to the Torah itself and being able to learn it. In Brachos, the Gemara says there are certain things that shorten the life of a person, that cause mekatsir yomov, cause them to lose his life. One of them is someone who is given a safer Torah to read and does not do so. Now, technically, that refers to somebody who's given an aliyah and doesn't want to take an aliyah. Here's a machlok as we've shown him how to learn that Gemara exactly. But the other idea behind it is somebody who has the ability to learn and doesn't learn doesn't have that. And he says, I can, I'm just not, I don't want to, I just don't want to do it. Kos shel bracha, if somebody refuses a kos shel bracha, and someone who acts as a leader who's not ready for it are the other two that are mentioned over there. Those are makatsar yamov, right, that are makatsar yamov, but this is the one. Torah Tamima wonders why, why, if you're not, if you're called up for an aliyah, all of a sudden you're going to be somebody who's, it just doesn't make any sense. That's a guy who's going to lose his life? Like, that doesn't make any sense. How could that be? Obviously, and if somebody says, like, I don't want an aliyah, obviously that's a serious Russia. Who in the world is it that doesn't want to get an aliyah and, like, refuses to get it? He says an interesting thing. He says, we all know that back in the day, when people were called up to the Torah, there was no Balkore. They just read themselves. So if you had to read yourself, then obviously people would sometimes refuse because they'd be like, I'm not ready. You know, they'd offer him an aliyah. It's like, no, yamod. And you're just like, I, I, I don't know this aliyah. I'm really sorry. I can't do it. I don't know. I, I would assume once this mimer came out, yeah. I mean, especially because, you know, you think about it. Like, if you only know you're getting one aliyah, you know, there's a Kohen and a Levi and Yisrael, you know what you are, right? So, of course, somebody could be called up for Kohen and he's Yisrael. Says the Torah to me, but that's not a problem. That's not the guy who has a shortened life because he refuses it. Because he gets up there and he's like, wait, I don't know the Kohen Aliyah, I only know the Yisrael Aliyah. Talking about a guy who seemingly, right, didn't prepare, and he should have. He should have prepared. Give me one second. So, like, I, I, I guess it's like that. In fact, the Medjish Rabbah says that one time Rebbe Akiva was called up to the Torah, and he told him he couldn't because he didn't prepare before him, and they praised him for it. So it's clear you have to obviously know what you're doing before you do it. Clearly that was the right thing to do. But the point beyond this is, is that one should always be prepared to learn and getting whatever he needs to do done so that he's able to go learn. That's the obvious thing. Yeah. Would deferring to someone else be in the same category? It, it depends. No, deferring like to somebody who you feel should get the aliyah more than you? No, 100%. I think that's okay. One time a guy came up to me. I was with a, a friend of mine out of town. And uh, a guy came up. We happen to have the, first same, the same first name. 
So the guy came up to me and he said, Yamod, you know, we wanted me for Shlishi. So I just gave his name. I was like, Tzvi Dove ben Yehuda Mordechai, right? So he's just, he just like looked up, right? And he said like, you're a rabbi. And I was like, you wrote Svarim. It was, a good, it was a good little conversation, but I ended up getting him called up. That's not me refusing an aliyah, right? That's them not understanding that he was more chashev than me, right? That's fine. That, that's, that, that works out well. So either way, regardless, that's the idea behind it. The Chavetz Chaim, oh, there's so many. I, I, got, I got three really good stories here. I think, yeah, three good stories. Chavetz Chaim says one time he was Zoha to stay in a room right next to Rav Yisrael Salanter. Rav Yisrael Salanter, the, the, the Muster movement based on Rav Yisrael Salanter, so we wanted to take advantage of that situation, right? The walls were paper thin, like they usually were in Europe, right? So we decided what he was going to do is he's not going to go to sleep. He's going to stay up all night next to one of the gedolim, and he wants to hear what Rabbi Saul Salanter does all night long. Okay, so that's what he did. He put his ear right up to the wall, and he heard Rabbi Salanter learning a certain Mishnah. He repeated the phrase over and over again. It's in Perkiavos, Perkalv Mishnah Yod Gimel, Udulo Yoif Somebody who doesn't learn is Chayev Misa, right? He didn't want to wake anybody up, so he was repeating it over and over to himself very quietly, right, and said that. And then he heard Rabbi Saul Salanter say to himself, how could it be, he asked himself, how could it be that Limud Torah, which is at best a mitzvah saseh, right? At best a mitzvah saseh. So a mitzvah saseh, if you don't do a mitzvah saseh, it's the lowest form of punishment. Then comes a mitzvah, you know, a low sasei, and there are certain low sasei's that are even worse than that, but a mitzvah say is the lowest form of punishment. If you don't do it, right, it, it, how could it be that ketola chayev, your chayev misa, for not learning Torah, right? So he said, it must be that a sinner really should die for any of his sins, but a Kaddish Baruch who does a chesed with us to keep us alive, right? He allows us to do tshuva. The only way a person will recognize that he should do tshuva is if he learns Torah, Obviously, if you learn Torah, he'll know. That shows what person, what he did wrong. That's why he's chayev. Because if he doesn't learn properly, he won't realize he has to do tshuva. And if he doesn't do tshuva, then he's chayev misa for everything else that he did. Because he really should die for what he did before, and he's not going to do tshuva because he didn't learn. So, udalo yalef, when a person doesn't learn, he doesn't have the ability to do tshuva, which means he doesn't have the ability to recognize what he had done wrong, that person is chayev misa. That's what Rizal Salanter was saying. The Chavetz Chaim was sitting there. He loved it. Obviously, that, I, can you imagine saying that all night long? <laughs> like, I can't even imagine. For sure, he heard like a thousand other things and the Chavetz Chaim didn't want to tell anybody. This is the only thing that he wanted to tell them. But either way, regardless, he then gives a mushal. And it's such a good mushal. An innkeeper took on a very young man as his helper. Now look, he ran an inn. And what happened was he had two floors. The bottom floor and the top floor of his hotel, of his inn, right? And that's that. This new helper, this guy who was helping him, was an inexperienced. But he didn't have a choice. You know, his old guy had quit and he didn't have somebody to take over. So he saw that he was a devoted worker. So he said, all right, I'll hire you, but I need you to really work hard. Are you ready to work hard? And the guy said, 100%, I'm really going to work hard. So the first floor was reserved for the wagon drivers and the poor men that were traveling, while the second floor, which is a little bit more chosh, was for the wealthy merchants. The merchants went from place to place, bigger rooms, better beds, you know, everything like that. Everything was right over there. So the man was walking. He obviously was really busy making sure that everybody had what they needed, right? He saw the young man running to an Bro, he always had his hands filled with something. He always had cleaning supplies. He had everything over there and everything was good, right? So the innkeeper praised himself. He's like, I must have made a good hire. This guy must have been a good hire because like clearly he's, he's busy the whole time and everything's there, right? That's why he was so surprised when all of a sudden all the people from the second floor came down to him maybe a day later, two days later, three days later and said, we're out. We're leaving. We're leaving. We're not coming back here. So what happened? Said the innkeeper, well, what was wrong? 
so he said, whoever heard of an inn of a hotel that doesn't clean up their rooms at night and just leaves them dirty all night long? We expect us to just clean up after ourselves. It's not what we're here for. So we've got our business to do, right? And our end isn't clean. We don't want to be here. So they got, out and they got up and they walked out. The innkeeper ran over to the worker and he's like, well, what happened? I thought I hired you to clean up the rooms. He said, I did. He said, what, what do you mean you did? He said, well, every room. I, I did it meticulously. I went over every room and I did every single thing really, really well. And I took care of all the beds and I stripped all the linen. And I made sure it was all clean and I put everything back on. And I, then I washed the walls and I washed the floors and I took care of everything. I was so busy with the first floor, I was never able to get to the second floor. So the innkeeper said, you fool. Obviously, it's not about the first floor. It's about the second floor. The wagon drivers and the poorer people aren't going to pay our bills. It's about the people on the second floor that are going to be there. That should have been your priority. You should have realized that rather than work on the first floor and only the first floor. The nimshal, says the Chavetz Chaim, is that we forget that we have two floors. One floor is Olam Hazeh, our bodies, and the other floor is Olam Hava. And we, we're machshiv everything down here because it's right there in front of us and it clearly needs some cleaning. So we take care of it and we do everything we need for our bodies, for our lives, for everything out there. We get everything we need to make ourselves happy and to make ourselves feel like we've got everything there. But we completely ignore the world above. We completely forget about the upper floor. And we're sitting there. If you consider the icker work on the first floor, then you're missing out on everything because it's all about those guys on the second floor. That's the idea of the nimshal that the Chafetz Chaim said. Based on this idea over here, woe to those people, Leans, those who don't realize the point of this world is to get to the next. And then finally, this is a famous story. This story was, it's been in many, many storybooks, so it's, it's out there. Revisor Zalman Meltzer, as we all know, first learned in the yeshiva of Velazhin. He was by the yeshiva of Velazhin for a while. He was a Talmud Mufak of Reb Chaim Brisker before Reb Chaim Brisker became Reb Chaim Brisker. He was still a young, young Talmud Chacham learning in Velazhin with the Nitziv. Eventually, Reb Chaim Brisker left, right? But either way, after he became engaged to the daughter of Reb Chaim Feivel Frank, Reb Chaim Feivel Frank, right? This is Al-Nazar. He went to learn in Radin. He knew he didn't have that much time before he was going to get married. So he went to Radin to go learn near the Chavetz Chaim. He lived on the bottom floor of a house that was owned by a guy who was a leather tanner. As we all know from the Gemara itself, leather tanners smell very much. They used excrement to be able to work their leather and to make it softer, etc. And it was an unbelievably rancid smell. An unbelievably rancid smell. So the stench was terrible. Rav Meltzer, every single night, had to open up the windows of his room to keep an airflow just so he wouldn't be throwing up at night. It was just that bad, the stench that was coming in. Even in the dead of winter and freezing winters in Rodin, we're talking Russian winters, right? The winter, he had to keep his, his windows open. He couldn't breathe. He mamish couldn't breathe. So why didn't he leave? He said, I know this guy needs the money. Nobody else is going to come here. Nobody else is going to give him money to stay here. And I know this guy needs the money. So he felt like he couldn't break his contract, not realizing how bad it was going to be. As time went on, unfortunately, the winter was extremely cold. He developed breathing issues. So he went to a doctor. The doctor told him that he's never going to be the same. And he was worried that he wouldn't be able to live out the year, that his lungs were extremely weak, that his heart was weak, that the cold had really ravaged him, and there was nothing that Mr. Zalmelter was going to do. So he wrote a letter to his kala, right? And he said to her, I understand if you want to break off the shidduch. The doctor says, I don't have very long to live. 
So if you want me to break off the shidduch, I have no problem. I have no claims against you, no tainas against you whatsoever. I won't take you to basin, which is what you do, whatever, etc. if something happens. He said, I'll have no claims against you whatsoever. Is that, and her family urged her to do so. They said, you'll find somebody else. She said, I don't want to do anything, right, without the Chavetz Chaim. She said, you can marry a very healthy person. In the end, the person dies. You can marry a very sick person. In the end, the person gets better. She said, I want to ask the Chavetz Chaim what to do. So she asked the Chavetz Chaim. She wrote to the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim told her, some people are healthy, while others have a Richus Yaman. Others have a Richus Yaman. So she ended up marrying him, of course. Rebister Zalman Meltzer grew up to be a Gon. He was a Roshiva in Slobodka, and eventually Slutsk, then Kletsk, and then eventually Yushalayim. He came to Yushalayim and lived in Yushalayim. He's the father-in-law of Ravaron Cutler, as we all know, right, with the whole Cutler family, etc. Authored Evan El-Ezel, the great monumental work on Shas, and then became, he, had, he lived to the age of 84. It's a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim, obviously. But it goes through that. that. Meaning, when we talk about Arichos Yomim, we kind of mess up and we think that Arichos Yomim is based on what we think in this world. Yeah, Rav Zizal probably lived a very hard life with his breathing issues and everything out there. But he lived to be a gon who accomplished so much, right? Because he understood that what his job was and he did what he was supposed to do. And with the bracha of the Chavetz Chaim, he had that all there. Little bit more. Rav Ochanan Wasserman he says in Kovitz Parshios, there's one thing that makes us different from every other nation in the world that makes our Arichos Yomim different from everyone else's Arichos Yomim. And that's obviously the Torah. And he goes through the obvious. Our history cannot be explained in a simple way. There is no one that can look at a Jew and say, that makes sense to me. Our history makes no sense. How in the world are there still Jews alive today? How are we still around? It, we've all been here. I just had a conversation with a little kid. It was a little kid, 15, 16 years old. He has these heretical ideas, like not just Stam, but like he really thinks like that whatever it is. I'm like, do you know how many people have had those ideas before? You know why you've never heard of them? You've never heard of them because they all completely lost themselves. And now they're gone. I don't even know if they have kids. Who knows if they ended up getting, whatever it is. But you know who I have heard of and you've heard of? You've heard of all the big rabbana. You've heard of all of them. They're all here. Right? You're not going to do anything if you go out. There's nothing you're going to be able to improve. But you have something here. Why not work the other way around? Why not see that there's something here to go with? And I'll tell you honestly, like I, I hate to say it this way, but 99% of the time, I don't want to say 100% of the time, but 99% of the time, the issues that are really there are the emotional issues. It's not the actual questions that they have. It's the questions that they're not asking, the questions that they feel bad about. Like those types of things. So just have, like, it's not, you don't have any real questions. Your questions are questions that you think are questions. So I, I, I'm seeing, I still don't know what's going to be with this kid. This kid is, it's a hard one. It's not an easy case over here. But to think to yourself that how in the world did we survive all this if not for the Torah? The fact is, we all continue to learn. We did mitzvahs. And anybody that didn't do that over the years is gone. Is gone. They're all gone. There's no other nations that all the, the Tzedukim and the Baisusim and the Shomronim, yeah, there's scattered even nowadays. You'll find like one guy who's like, I'm a Shomroni, and it's like the weirdest dude of all time. You, you don't find these people anymore, but we still go on, Cesar Volchanan, because we have the Torah. You won't see these communities dying because of that idea. They had in their times by Rebbe this is, I mean, forget about what we've seen through Russia. He was watching what happened to Russian Jewry when all of Torah was banned. Millions were lost. And we know this. We know how many people, how many lives were lost. Not just, I don't mean physical. I mean spiritual lives were lost in Russia over the 
50 years, 60 years that they banned the Torah before they finally let them out? It's ridiculous. But that's the idea. Says Rashi in Parshas Vayikra, in Parachov, I'm sorry, in Parshas Amor, Parachov, Pazachabav, I separated you from the nations to be for me. If you separate from the nations, then you'll be mine. And if not, then he belongs to Nebuchadnezzar and his friends. And nobody's going to hear of you ever again. That's the idea behind it. He used this to explain why people have to pay for yeshivas, because philosophically, those are the only things that keep B'nai Yisrael around. But th- this is such an unbelievable line. is for sure referring to this. Mesha Chachma, or Meir Simcha of Dvinsk, quotes the Gemara in Bracho, where Rabbah told everyone he was a Bainini. Does everybody know, you know, there's Sadiqim, there's Rishayim, and then there's Bainanim. Right? The Bainini is the middle guy. The guy who's not a Tzadik, not a Russia, says, Rabba, I'm a Bainini. Abayi couldn't understand it. Abayi is telling him, looked at him, he's like, if you're a Bainini, what's everybody else? If Rabba, the great sage, is a Bainini, what's everybody else? How could that be? How could that possibly be? So here's what Mesha Chochma says. He says an unbelievable thing. He says, a Bainini is someone who's judged by both his Yetzir Tov and his Yetzir Hara. A, 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 a Tzadik is somebody who only has a Yetzir Tov. He's subjugated, admonished, no Yetzar at all. A Russia is somebody who's only got the Yetzar, his Yetzar rules over him. But a Benini has a little bit of both, his Yetzar Tov and his Yetzar Hara. So listen to this. He says, if your Yetzar Tov and Yetzar are working together, then your Yetzar Tov is still able to make the right decisions, then that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You're not a Russia making bad decisions. You're allowing the Yetzar Hara to get in there because, look, I can't live without it. And yet your Yetzar Tov is helping you make the right decisions there. Rabbah is a little bit different. Rabbah, right, he had a reason to learn Torah that even his Yetzir Hara would agree with. Rabbah was from Beis Eili. And although that's a bit of a machlokas, it's a machlokas if Rabbah or Rabbah was from Beis Eili, it makes more sense to say that Rabbah was from Beis Eili. I had explained it at a different time, but Rabbah outlived Abaye. Rabbah and Abaye both grew up by, by Rabbah's house. Abaye died at the age of 60, and the other one died at the age of 40. If it's Rabbah, then it's really strange that they were 20 years apart, but they grew up in Rabbah's house together, and Rabbah outlived Abaye. That just doesn't make any sense. And we know that Rabbah outlived Abaye because his wife came to him asking for wine and ksuvas. There was something out there. So it's got to be Rabba. So Rabba was from Beis Eili. Now we all know in Beis Eili, it's in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Yudches, Beis Eili would never live past the age of 18. That was a curse that was given to them after Chofni and Pinchas did what they did and they didn't do tshuva. All of Eili's children could not live past the age of 18. And even if they brought all the korbanos in the world, says the Pasuk, and the Gemara explains it, right? That they are no chance they can't live past the age, the age of 18. So what do they do? How could they live past the age of 18? If they learn Torah, they'll be able to live past 18 and reach the age of 40. And if they learn Torah and do chesed, then they'll reach the age of 60, right? They'll reach the age of 60. I can't guarantee those ages, but it's 40 and 60. That's what the Gemara says regarding Rabba. Rabba learned Torah, and therefore he lived to the age of 40. Abaye did Torah and did Chesed and lived to the age of 60. Rabba raised orphans in his house, and yet that wasn't considered a Chesed for some reason. I really don't understand how that's not considered a Chesed, but regardless, he lived to 40. In his case, the Yetzir Hara would be Maskim to do what the Yetzir Tov wants to do. If he doesn't learn Torah, he'll die at the age of 18. So the Yitzhahara wants him to learn Torah, says the Meshachachma. The Yitzhahara was maskim to the Yitzhah Tov. They were both together, and they agreed that the only way for him to live was to learn Torah. So they were both agreement. So Rabbah said, me, I'm a Bainini. 
And when Abayi said to him, but then where does that leave everywhere else? He said, I don't know where everybody else is, but me, myself, I have both my Yitzhar Tov and my Yitzhar Hara both agreeing that I should be learning Torah, that I should be learning Torah properly. <laughs> Such a great shot to that Gemara. Most people don't have their Yitzhar Hara being maskim that they should learn, but he had it. He had that Yitzhar Hara to be able to do it together, and that's why he called himself a Benini. That's an unbelievable idea. There's an Itziv over here, but I'm going to skip it and go to the next one. In that vein, another way of understanding this puzzle comes from the Sefer Imre Yitzchak. He says, Torah is the towel that allows us to have Maybe you've heard that the drool that a person has when they fall asleep on a Gemara trying to understand it, that's the towel that allows you to have Tchiyas HaMesim. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, it's based on a mimer, not exactly correct. But I did have a guy that one time borrowed my Gemara and then promptly fell asleep on it. And there was a mikvah on my Gemara afterward. It's still, it's my Gemara Makos. I had to dry it out for days. I had all my notes in that Mako, so I couldn't just throw it out. All my notes were in there. So it does. It has, it still has. I'm assuming it's Tchias Amesim Tal. I'm assuming this. I'm assuming this over here. But that, like, this is, yeah, that's that. But if, that's that. So he says the following. He says, that's why Ami Aratzim are not promised Tchias Amesim. Because if they don't have Torah, then they don't have Tal. If they don't have Tal, how can they wake themselves up? However, he says, if they're Dovuk to Talmide Chachamim, then that connection will allow them to have that Tchias Mesim, the Tal of the Talmide Chachamim, will work for them and they'll wake up for Tchias Mesim. That's the Pshat. Kihu Chayecha Vaorech It is your life and your life, but why? Lidovka Bo. You can't connect to a Kaddish Baruch exactly, so how do we connect to Hashem? Through the Talmud Chachamim. If you're Dov Gabo, if you're Dovuk to the Talmud Chachamim, that's what's going to wake you up in Tchiyas Mason. That's how he understands it. Paris Yosef in Shulchan Aruch, Evan Ezra, Simon Bey's Sivvav, he quotes the Shulchan Aruch. Um, you can't, you shouldn't marry your daughter off to an Ama Aretz. Right? The Ramah adds that, I should say the other, it's the opposite, I'm sorry. I should say the opposite way. You can't marry the daughter of an Amaretz. I wrote that wrong over here. You can't marry the daughter of an Amaretz. The Ramah adds, their daughters are considered behemos, which caused the curse of Arur Shochevim Kol Behema to apply. If you marry the daughter of an Amaretz, somebody you mamish doesn't know anything whatsoever. That's because they don't have the heart to understand the Torah or understand why we do what we do. In fact, the Gemara and Pesachim, Mem Tesem says that it may even be forbidden to be Malave, someone who's an Amaretz on the road, because if they don't care about their own lives, Ki Yuchayach doesn't apply to them, then why should they care about yours? The Torah Tamima says, even though obviously he's talking about Ruchni is more than Gashmi, etc., so what difference does it make if I walk with him on the road? What does that have to do with anything? He says, still, it seems the Gemara assumes that an Ama Aretz has no Yiras Shemaim. And the most dangerous person you're ever going to meet is a person with no Yiras Shemaim. It's the first thing that Avram Avinu said to Avimelech when Avimelech said, What's wrong? Why in the world did you lie to me? Why did you tell me that she was your sister, that Sarai was your sister, when she was really your wife? And he said, I saw, there's no Yiras Shemaim here. If there's no Yerushalayim, I have no choice. Mitzrayim was a bunch of Arias. Fine, that's a different issue. I had to lie because otherwise they would have killed me over my wife. But you, there's no Yerushalayim. There's no, I don't know what you're going to do. I have no idea what you're going to do. That's the idea behind it. Ramoshan Koram, he says he understands. Why do we darshan this idea of being Dovah to Tomei from this Pasuk? From over here it says, Ladov Kabo. And why not from a Pasuk in Parshas Akev? That also says Ladov Kabo. It's the very end of Parshas Akev. Why is this Pasuk any better than that Pasuk over there? He says the most amazing thing. He says in Parshas Akev, it's referring to someone who wants to learn Torah properly and live according to the ways of the Torah. 
the way for him to do that is to connect to Talmud Chachamim, to hear what they have to say and do like them, follow them, copy them, or whatever. And that's why it says, that guy Mamish wants to do it. But this guy, the word Ladavkabo is by Ulishmoa Bikola, to listen to God's voice. These are people who already listen to the Chachamim, but they don't know how to go any further. Somebody who doesn't have the ability to get any further, he has no choice but to have a schus to marry off their daughters to Amin and do something to connect themselves to Amin even though they're not going to be on the level. And that's why we learn this over here. The people that obviously can connect to Amin should. And the people that can't, because they don't really know how to get that connection, do anything you can to connect to Amin Do whatever you can to have that connection by either being Mahanadem or by marrying off children to each other or doing whatever you can to be involved. You look straight. You look straight. I, I just think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Why are you judging the daughter of a Amara? Oh, in the first part. Why no, are you judging? That's all the way from the beginning. They, yeah. They could be wonderful. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's about daughter of an Amara. Who is the Am- Who is an Amara as well? Yeah, that's the obvious answer. But, but again, who is it? that's also they weren't taught. So maybe if you do teach them, right? Could be that you would be. Hundred percent. Don't. That's not your lechachila. You don't want to get around that. Right, they have to learn it. But if they do, but if they do, and if they do, 100%, 100%. You just got to be careful. Listen, it's always true. Like, you never want to say this, but like, obviously, if they didn't grow up the same way that you did, it is going to be a little bit rough for the kids sometimes. Like, the kids don't always know, like, I mean, mommy didn't grow up this way, so mommy doesn't necessarily know to teach them to say Hamalacha goal before they go to sleep at night, or to give them marvelous Midos machine when they're kids, or to do whatever it is that's supposed to be there. If they didn't grow up that way, it's hard. It's not that it, they can't, it's that, but that's what we mean. If it's an Ama Aretz's daughter who's an Ama Aretz, stay away. That's what we're talking about, as opposed to somebody like that. Man came to Rebietza Zilberstein after he'd been in a terrible car accident, right? So he had lost part of his face in the accident. That's what happened to this guy. The doctors were able to create a brand new nose for him through plastic surgery. They were able to put something else on top of him. So he wanted to know how he should thank HaKadosh Baruch for a miracle like that, that obviously it was a miracle that he survived and a miracle that he's able to look normal again. So the Rav told him that when Hannah was given a a miraculous baby, right, Shmuel, so she showed thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in three ways. Okay, three ways. She went to bow down to Hashem and thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly, which obviously is tefillah. She went to go bring a korban, which obviously also is tefillah, a form of tefillah, whatever it is, and let her child be davuk to the Kohanim. She brought Shmuel to live with the Kohanim in the base of Mikdash for the rest of his life. He said, that we don't do. Obviously, we don't give our children over except to yeshiva, etc., but you should thank Hashem during Modim, bring a gift to the base Madrash, and connect yourself to Talmud Chachamim from that point on. Right? Connect yourself. Make yourself a part of a Talmud Chachamim community. The idea of being around them and seeing what they do and doing things that they do from that point on. And obviously that child grew up to be Shmuel and Avi. Because what else do you expect? That's the idea of what you should do. Try to connect to Talmud Chachamim by doing something. That man ended up making a suda, like a, not like a siyam, but sort of like a suda soda for the Talmud Chachamim there and went to go learn there. He went to go learn in that kolel for a long time because he wanted to connect to all these Talmud Chachamim. Okay, there's Rabbeinu Ephraim here. He says, Memches Chayecha is 48, because the Torah is Darshan Memches Panim, 48 different ways, right? Orech Yamecha is the Gematra of Eish, because Torah is Eish Das Lamo. But if you look at the end, we all know Nitzavim is a very short parsha. Only 40 psukim. 40 psukim. So at the end, you'll see that the, 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 the what's it called, the word that represents the amount of psukim in the parsha, because Mem Psukim is Livavo. 
Livavo is the gematria of 40. Lamed Vez Vez Vav is the gematria of 40. And that's the, so to speak, the word that represents all parsha. Every parsha has one, right? It has one word that represents. Some of them we can understand, some of them not so much. So if David Feinstein says, this one seems to be easy. It's a call to do tshuva. It's a call to do tshuva. So to get your heart involved, to show the love that's deep down inside you, right? And, and all of our hearts for a Kaddish Baruch and for the Torah, to use your heart for Hashem, which makes a ton of sense. That's the reason why it's there at the very end of the parsha. Sor Lateva says the word heart appears eight times in such a small parsha, like Nitzavim, of 40 psukim. Levavo appears eight times in the parsha. The first time in parsha Pasuk Yud Zayin is the word Levavo. So that makes sense. Since Lave appears eight times, the first one is Livavo. So that's clearly the theme of the Parsha is about the heart of the person. So that's why Livavo is the sim, and that's why he puts it out. But the Baba Vareva, right, who was killed in the Second World War, Hashem Yimchadamam, Domo, says, it makes no sense, no sense that Chazal would choose this word from that Pasuk as the sim. Why? That's the one time that Lave is used in this Parsha in the wrong way. That Pasuk is talking about a person who's going off the derech. It says, Asher levavo pone His heart is going away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why would you use the one time in the Parsha that the word lave is brought up and use it in this fact? Like that represents the Parsha. It's the exact opposite of what the Parsha represents. That's somebody going away. This should be somebody coming too. Why use that levavo? He says, Levavo is not referring to that word. He says Levavo is referring to this last Pusuk, which is the Iker of the entire Parsha, he says. And it's the Rashi Tevis of Lishmoa Bikolo Uledovka Bo. That's Levavo. Lishmoa Bikolo Uledovka Bo. Lamed Bez Vav Bez. But it's livavo. That's what it's going with. This pasuk charges us to be connected to Akharish Baruchu. This pasuk is charging us to go learn Torah. This pasuk is charging us to go to Eretz Yisrael and be mashlam ourselves, make ourselves shalom, and make ourselves better. That's a simon toe for Klal Yisrael. See, even though the word livavo actually does appear in the parsha and it appears in a negative way and a negative connotation, somebody who turns away, the word livavo is a reference to the best thing that this parsha represents. Something which is again lishma. And that should be our message that we take from this Parsha, that we should understand that, especially before Rosh Hashanah, that we should understand our hearts are there for a Kaddish Baruch, we should be Zochah to Ksiva Chasimah Tova. everybody. Have a great Shabbos.